Welcome to Parkview. Uh, I love this church. We couldn't get away with that anywhere else. Uh, welcome. That was Bible in a minute. We're doing Bible in 31 weeks. Either way, uh, we're trying to teach you the Bible around here. But the really important news this week is the refs are back. Right? Am I right? That's the really important news. Let's just be honest. Um, somebody sent me this picture two weeks ago when the Bears lost to the Packers. Yeah, uh, but then they sent me this one this week after Monday night. And that's funny right there. I don't care what you say. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter because it's rider time in Chicago right now. It's all about golf. I know you people that don't golf don't understand, but this is like the Olympics uh, for golf, and it's right here in Chicago, and it's been incredible. U.S. is winning. Reminded me of a story when Moses and Jesus and an older man were out golfing one day, and uh, Moses hit his shot, and he had a little slice, and it went into the water, and just as it went into the water, Moses went over part of the water, chipped onto the green, and still got his par. Jesus got up, did the same thing, had a little slice, went into the water. He went out, walked on water, hit his ball up on the green, still made par. The old guy hit his ball, had a slice, it was headed towards the water, but just as it was going in the water, a fish jumped up out of the water, grabbed the ball in its mouth. As it was falling back into the water, an eagle came out of the sky and grabbed a hold of the fish and started to fly away. But the eagle lost its grasp on the fish as it was flying over the green, the fish flopped down on the green, the ball popped out of his mouth and went in the hole for a hole in one. And Jesus said, nice shot, Dad. I said last week, if you believe the very first line of the Bible, everything else kind of falls into place. And that story could have actually happened. If you believe that God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then everything else really does fall into place. It does change everything. In, in means of review, we talked last week about God making everything and it was all good and some of it was even very good. But Adam and Eve had freedom of choice because we always have freedom of choice in our relationship with God. And they had freedom of choice and they chose to disobey God. And that brought sin into the world and that brought death and, and destruction. And their sons ended up, one of them killing the other one, and everything went downhill. And it went so far downhill that it got to the point where it says that God was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And he was going to just wipe everything out except there was this one guy named Noah. Two words that were really important, but Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, so, so because of one good man, the whole human race was saved. And that's a story we're going to hear again when we get to the New Testament as we talk about Jesus, obviously. So God started over. And he started over with Noah, and then a bunch of stuff happened, and then we get down to chapter 2 today, which is God builds a nation, and we're going to obviously talk about Abraham. And from this nation, the Messiah would come, okay? Now, that's, this, that's the picture of the beginning of the Bible. Now, you may be new, you may be asking yourself, okay, why are we doing this? We're going 31 weeks through the entire Bible, and I'll tell you why. All right, have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture, Okay. Have you ever like been looking in your closet and there was a Ziploc bag and all the puzzle pieces were in it and you're fishing around and you're like, where's the box? Nobody, we lost the box. What are we going to do? I double dog dare you to try to put a puzzle together without knowing what the picture is. And that's what a lot of people have done with this. They've got this Bible and, and they say, well, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to figure out the Bible. And they start in Genesis and they start reading through and they get to Deuteronomy or the Begats or whatever and they get frustrated and they, they go back to watching Monday night replay and trying to figure out if it was a touchdown or an interception. Right? 
And hey, the Bible is large. There's 66 books in here. There are three quarters of a million words, okay? I'm not saying that it's easy, but God gave us his word for a reason, and it's really important. And we believe that it's really important. And if you don't understand it, it's just because the clergy people have done a lousy job of helping you understand it. Well, not me, but the clergy people you grew up with. Okay. So, so finally, Randy Frazee and Max Lucado decided, you know what, let's just put something together and make this whole thing work. Uh, and they called it the story. This is basically the picture. Okay? It's not replacing the Bible. It's the Bible cut and put into pieces and with a little bit of explanation. And some of it left out because you know, we couldn't do it all and, and get it in 31 weeks. But it's the big picture. Okay? That's why we're doing this. And, and we've sold... 5,800, well, probably over 6,000 copies of this now. We're not making any money off of it. We're only pushing it because we really want you to be able to have the big picture. That's what this is. And last weekend we had over 7,100 people, which was a record, so thank you for coming and being a part of that. That was really awesome. We're going to... We're going to give out some checks at the uh, end of the service because we said we we're going to give $2 for every person that came, and so we're going to get to do that at the end of the service. It's really cool. I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Um, I, I want to encourage you, first of all, to attend. I, I know, you know, I, I mean, we don't, I know your schedules are crazy. My schedule's crazy. I get all that. But as best you can, try to be here for the first 10 weeks of this series so that you can watch it all go together. Because, I mean, we go, from, we go from Adam to Noah the first week, and then we go from Abraham down through uh, Jacob in this one, and then Jacob is the father of Joseph, and Joseph is next week. And you see how the whole thing goes together. It'll really help you if you can be here. If you can't, we have an app for your smartphone. We have, uh, you know, we have it online. I love, just want, want you to keep up with it. Number two, read. Okay, You need to read every week. Read your stuff. Uh, we're, we're in chapter 2 this week. How many of you read your chapter? Go ahead and put your hand up. I'm going to start asking you every week, so you might as well learn to lie or learn to read because this is what we're going to do, okay? And, and, and we're, and we're going to do this, okay? The second, third thing is you need to discuss. Uh, get together with your family. Get, your kids are all doing this. The student ministry is doing this. Everybody's doing this together, so discuss. Get in a small group. We still have room for you. We'd love to, for you to do that. Get a DVD and go lead your own, whatever. You need to discuss it, okay? Do those things. So chapter 2 is an impossible amount of scripture for me today. There's a lot of people in chapter 2, and one of them, his name is Lot. I mean, that's how bad it is, okay? I got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, Leah. I mean, I got, oh, I got all this stuff going on, okay? But, but we want to talk about one character today, and that's Abraham, because he's called the father of our faith. He's the main character. He gets 13 chapters in Genesis. That's a pretty big deal, okay? 75 times in the New Testament he is mentioned. So Abraham is the major player. He is called the father of our faith. We left off with Noah. Like I said last week, God hit Control-Alt-Delete and rebooted the world, right? Basically, Noah version 2.0 was more user-friendly. And, uh, you know, basically this was God's way of saying, look, I switched to Mac and I don't have to reboot my computer anymore. And he put a rainbow up in the sky to tell us that he was never going to do that ever again. He was never going to reboot the world ever again. Here's what he said. He said, this is a sign. See, when you see a rainbow, I mean, scientists can explain it, you know, being the light prism coming through the, the mist, you know, that's going on up there. But there's more to it than that. God said, I'm going to put a rainbow up in the sky. And every time you see the rainbow, I want you to remember that this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and life on the earth. The sign of a covenant. I want you to remember that word because that covenant word is going to come back over and over again. All right, so then what happens? Not much. 
There's a thousand years in between Noah and Abram. A whole millennium. And not very much happens. As a matter of fact, the only thing, the only recorded thing that happens in that whole millennium is when the people get together and build a tower to try to get up to God. And God says, yo quiero Taco Bell, and now we all need Rosetta Stone. That's the only thing that happens in the whole thousand years. Okay? But we get to Abram. That was pretty fast, wasn't it? And we get to Abram, and what happens is God decides to pick this guy to build a nation. God is going to build a nation. And Abram and Sarah are the people that he picks. Okay? Um, they're from a well-to-do neighborhood. They're, they're wealthy people. They're sons, of, sons and daughters of wealthy people. Country club membership, 403B, European cars, yappy dog, all of it. Okay, That's them. <clears throat> and for some reason, God picks them to be the father of a new nation. Now, Abraham and Sarah are a strange choice for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're idol worshipers. I really like to point this out because some of you are like, man, I, I didn't grow up in a family of faith. I don't know anything about the faith. Neither did the father of our faith. He was an idol worshiper. Joshua 24 tells us that, that his father, Terah, was a man who made idols for a living. So Abram had had lots of exposure to little g-gods and no exposure to big g-god ever in his life. Okay, that's really important. Because last week we learned that Noah was, uh, it said in page 11 of your book, it said Noah was a righteous man and blameless among his people. The reason that God picked Noah was because Noah was a good man. It doesn't say that about Abraham. It doesn't say that at all. Okay? Really, no reason that we know. And, and I like that because God does that a lot. Matter of fact, I was thinking through the whole list of, of people in the Bible. None of them really make sense. Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses was a stutterer. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was a bug eater, right? Peter was impulsive. Martha was worrying a lot. The Samaritan woman had been married five times. Thomas had doubts. Paul had health problems. Timothy was timid. Every one of them had some kind of an issue, which should just show us over and over again that it's not about us. It's about God and what God wants to do through us. Okay? You get that? And we get over to page 13, Genesis 12, verse 1, and we find this very simple phrase, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That's all. We don't know why. God just did. And you think about this, okay? You're Abram. You're, you got life going pretty well. You have no reason to do anything else. And you decide to listen to this God. Why do you think that would be? I'll tell you why I think it would be. Because if all of a sudden you've been following idols all your life, and all of a sudden a big G God shows up and speaks to you, I don't know what kind of form he took, I don't know how the whole thing worked, but all of a sudden a big G God shows up and talks to you and says this, you're digging it. Listen, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Pretty awesome, huh? The second reason that Abraham and Sarah are a weird selection is because they're older and they don't have any kids. Abe is 75, as you've heard already. Abe is 75. 
You know, Sarah's 65, I guess you robbed the cradle, but at that age it starts to not matter very much anymore. So picture this up in heaven, right? You're up in heaven and, and God says, hey you guys, it's been a boring millennium, it's time for me to start the new nation. I'm going to find a couple and I'm going to bless them and they're going to have a child and we're going to start a new nation. And the angels are like, hey, that's a great plan, because that's what they always say when God says that. Hey, that's a great plan. Look, there's a young couple down there. They play tennis every, every day. They look really nice. Why don't you pick them? And God says, no, how about that couple over there? And the angels go, the ones with the walkers? Are you serious? The elderly, infertile couple? That's who God says I'm going to use to build a nation? And God says, yeah, because you know why? Because if I do that, then everybody's going to know that it really is from me. And it really came from me. If I use that, that couple over there, nobody's going to know. But if I use them, everybody's going to know. So Abram says, cool. I can't wait to see what is going to happen. And later on, God is going to say to them, Look up at the sky, Abram, page 15, in, uh, in Genesis 15. He said, God is going to say, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your, your offspring be. This is the promise that God gives to Abram. And you know what? I really like this. I like this. I like to pick, pick, pitch this story a lot when it comes time to Abraham, because I think it's important that we understand that what you can see and what God can see are two totally different things. What do I mean? When God said, look up at the stars, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the stars that you could see, because Abraham didn't have a telescope. And Abraham looked up at the stars, and he thought, wow, that's really cool. I mean, you know, I mean, if we look up at the stars in Chicago, we could see like three or four, right? But if you go out somewhere away from it all, you know, out to, to Wisconsin, or you go somewhere away from it where you're out in the middle of nowhere, you can see a lot of stars. But the scientists tell us that you can only see 10,000 stars to the naked eye. Now, Abram's thinking, that's cool, 10,000 is more than zero, which is how many descendants I have right now. What I love about this story is that God is just laughing as Abram's looking up at the stars going, ooh, that's awesome, because only God at this point could see that there are billions of stars beyond what Abram could even see, right? I mean, there, there's other galaxies that, that, that he has no idea about. And I, I laugh about that because that's how God works over and over again. When God asked my wife and I to move to Tenley Park, Illinois, 22 years ago, it was with a vision of a little church. That's our picture they put in the paper our first weekend. Uh, kind of a Jeff Foxworthy mustache thing I had going back. Um, you might be a redneck. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I when, when, when we were called here, here's what we could see. We were in a 10,000 square foot building on two acres over on 84th Avenue, and it was a church of 150 people. And what we could see, right, Lonnie, what, what, what we could see was maybe someday we'd have two services. You know, maybe on Easter we'd need three services. Maybe someday there'd be like 300 or 400 people worshiping Jesus. Maybe we'd have dozens of baptisms a year someday. That's what we could see. And we were like, okay, cool, we're going to do this. There's no way we could have seen 7,100 people meeting over here in Orland and in Lockport and a bunch of people watching on the Internet because you can't get to see that. What you've got to do is you've got to follow God and let God take you somewhere. And whatever God sees is the big picture, and what you can see is just a little tiny bit of the picture. So, Abraham also needed kids. He was really, 10,000 descendants are great anyway, because back in that day, it was important that you have kids, because, you, you know, there was no social security, there was nobody to take care of you, and it was really important that you have sons, okay? Um, personally speaking, I've blown that in my family. 
There will be no little Harlows running around. I was the only male child in my family, and I got no male children, right? All my little grandchildren are going to be Harrises and Carreras's and whoever knows what Becca's going to end up with. And there's not going to be any little Harlows. Now, I have sons now. I'm excited about that. You get to hear one of them sing, one of my son-in-laws sing at the end of this service. That's fun for me, but there's nobody to carry on my name. And Abraham really, really wanted that. He really wanted to have somebody to carry on his name. So this was not just about having kids. This was going to be about having sons. And it's a crazy promise to a guy who is, you know, I mean, he's got no, nothing at all. Nobody to pass it on and he's already 75. I will make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Pardon me for being carnal, but that part sounds fun to me, doesn't it? You know, you got God on your side. You messing with me? Say hello to my little friend, right? I mean, this is good. I'm sorry, I'm just really human about that, but I think everything about this sounds really cool. I want this. I want this blessing. And you know what? Here's the deal. This promise that, that God gives to him, it is going to be the promise that is reiterated over and over and over again to his descendants and over and over again to us. It is the foundation for building this nation. And Abraham is 75 and 65, and, and she's 65 and God says, hey, here's the deal. I got this awesome promise for you, but you're going to have to leave your comfort zone. And Abe's thinking, you know, I'm retirement age anyway. Are we going to Florida? You know, is there Bob Evans? I mean, how, how's this whole thing going to work? And God says, I'm not going to show you where. You're just going to have to trust me. So they loaded up and they moved away. And it's an important principle when it comes to faith. The life of following God is usually characterized by leaving your comfort zone and going to a place you're not very familiar with. And it says, page 13, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's all it says. When God said, jump, Abram said, how high? Right? That's what faith does. That's what faith is all about. It's about putting ourselves in a place where God can do something. And so over and over again, you're going to hear throughout the Old Testament these three names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is going to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 217 times, as a matter of fact, you're going to hear it in the Old Testament. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean? I am the God of the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the word that they use for it. As a matter of fact, back over on page 7, you're going to see over at the top of that page Abram fell face down and God said to him as for me as for me this is my covenant with you you will be the father of many nations no longer will you be called Abram you'll be Abraham he changes his name for I have made you the father of many nations and that word covenant is used 284 times in the Bible okay it is the foundation of absolutely everything God does from this point on it is the foundation. It is a covenant that God has made with him. Now, I need to explain this to you. I need to explain what a covenant is. Okay? There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is something that two people enter into, and they make a contract to protect themselves. Okay? If, I, if you have a piece of property and I'm going to buy it from you, even if you're my friend, we're going to enter into a contract. And it's so that you can't mess me over and I can't mess you over. So that we both agree on something, but it's for self-preservation. That's a contract. A covenant is something that somebody does on behalf of the other person. It's an agreement that you enter into on the behalf of another person. That's how it's used in the Bible. That's the, what the word means in the Bible. It, in other words... Your wedding day, 
you made a covenant. You didn't enter into a contract. Maybe with the state you entered into a contract. But with God, you entered into a covenant. And you said, I take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, till death do his part. That's what I'm going to do for you on behalf of you. And I'm entering into this for you. Do you see the difference? That's what God has done for us. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who said, I'm going to make a nation out of a crazy place that doesn't make any sense. So what do we learn from this story? A couple of things as I go throughout the rest of it. Let me just tell you. Number one, faith is usually blind. Faith is usually blind. It's sometimes going to have to be blind. Sometimes you're just going to have to realize that you're not going to get to know where you're going. That's what happened to Abram and Sarah. They didn't get to know where they were going. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas in Jesus' day? He says, I'm not going to believe until I can poke the holes in Jesus' hand. So Jesus says, okay, cool, I'll peer to Thomas. And he peers to Thomas, and Thomas said to him, okay, I'm sorry, my Lord and my God, I believe. And Jesus told him, big whoop, that's in the Greek, you don't see it here, big whoop, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith has really, really got the, you know, it's really got the, where the rubber meets the road when you can't see what's going on. And that's what it's usually like over and over again. Here's what it says about, about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. Listen to this sentence. This is important. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I don't want you to answer, but I've got to ask you this. Do you, are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised? Because that's what got Abraham through. That's why he's the father of our faith. He was fully persuaded. It didn't make any sense to him, but he went. Because it all starts with trust. It all starts with faith. And it's just an important thing for me to point out here, okay? When we get to, I don't know when we end up, May sometime, when we get to the end of this 31 weeks, if all you've done, if all I've helped you to do as your pastor is to learn the Bible, then I have failed. I want to help you to live the Bible. That's the only thing that's going to make any sense. Do you see where I'm going? If all you've done is figured out, okay, now I see the big picture, but it hasn't made any application to your life, then I've not done a very good job. I challenge you to live this stuff. That's what faith is. Sometimes it's blind. Secondly, faith does not prevent people from blowing it. Okay? People of faith blow it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob blew it. Heard about a guy who was having a hard time getting up for church one morning. His wife was like, dude, why, why are you not getting up? He said, I'm not going today. She said, why not? He said, I'll give you three reasons. The people don't like me, the people are dumb, and I just don't want to go. She said, well, I'll give you three reasons why you ought to go. People are people. You need to accept that. Some of the people like you, and you're the pastor, so get up. LAUGHTER People of faith sometimes mess up too, guys, okay? And people in the Bible over and over again, they're still included in the story. And even though Abraham had a ton of faith, he still messed up. But God, he is, Abraham is still always the central character in this story. For example, let me take you back to Genesis 16. Here's what happens in Genesis 16. They get to long about the way, about a part of the way through, maybe 15 years into this thing, and they still haven't had a kid. And so Sarah comes up with this idea. She took her wife 
she, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. This was common practice back then, but what they did is they decided, oh, well, maybe God needs our help. Okay? Don't ever do that. Don't, don't ever do that. Do you want to know why there's Middle East conflict going on today and why there will be Middle East conflict going on until the very end of the world? I'll tell you why. It's because they took matters into their own hand and Hagar had a son named Ishmael who was the father of the Arabs. And as soon as Ishmael was born and Israel was born, God prophesied that from now on there was going to be enmity and strife between those two groups. And that's why it's going on. It, 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 the, the Arab nation all goes back to, to Abraham. The Jewish nation all goes back to Abraham. And those two groups have never gotten along. Why? Because they took matters into their own hands. I only point that out to you because you need to understand that they're going to mess up. And you go throughout the story and they're all going to mess up. As a matter of fact, the funny thing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that Jacob's name means deceiver. Do you, do you understand that? He was a liar. He was a cheat. He cheated his family out of their inheritance. It's like having a driving instructor named Old Blind Joe. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. My banker's name is The Gambler. I mean, great. Is this smart? Abraham, Isaac, and the deceiver. That's the, those are the people that got the promise here. I just love that because it just shows you, because I know some of you are like, man, God could never use me. I, I've done too much wrong. I mean, God doesn't care about any of your past. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, your past is probably what has made you primed for the job that God is going to give you now. Okay? I mean, think about this. If God wants to start a prison ministry, only God would think to use a former jailbird from Watergate named Chuck Colson. God wants to teach us about joy. Only God could use a quadriplegic named Joni Erickson Tata. That's how God would do it. God wants to teach us about forgiveness and grace. He would use a struggling, recovering drug addict who plays baseball for the Texas Rangers. If God wants to teach us about heaven, he's going to use a little four-year-old boy named Colton, right? If God wants to teach us about getting glory from unknown places, he's going to make an Asian-American Harvard graduate into an NBA star overnight. That's how God works. The unlikely places, that's where it comes from, okay? But if you've blown it, don't worry, you're in good company. Number three, Faith takes patience. It takes patience. Sometimes the best options are wisdom and patience. Am I right? I think I'm right. I love the look on that dog's face. <laughs> Just look at that dog, man. What am I going to do? I'm really hungry, but dang. <laughs> Genesis 17. Listen to this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Okay, did you, I don't know if you're good at math or not, but it was 75 to 99. That's 24 years later. Some of you are sitting there right now saying, why doesn't God hurry up? I wish God would hurry up. Well, I want to tell you something. God doesn't ever hurry up. Sarah might have been a smoking hot 65-year-old, but she's 90 now. And Abraham's a hundred. I don't even know. Do you still do that thing that makes babies when you're a hundred and ninety? I don't even want to know that. You don't either. I can tell. 
Why does God do this over and over again? Why does God do this over and over again? I mean, the baby's name is laughter. Isaac means laughter. Why? Because Sarah laughed, yeah. And also because it's just stinking funny. They're buying baby formula with a social security check. Come on, that's funny. Their, their whole house is eating strained peas because nobody's got a tooth in the whole place. <laughs> this is a great story. I love this story. And if you look at all the great leaders of the Bible, it's the same thing over and over again. They always had to wait. Moses had to wait 40 years in the desert and then 40 years leading the children through the desert before he ever got to the end. And in the end, he didn't get to go in. Abraham had to wait and wait, and he never really got to settle. David was 15 years between the time he was anointed as king and he became king. Jesus had to wait till he was 30 to start his ministry. There's usually waiting involved in faith. There's usually patience that's involved in, in, in faith. God just doesn't hurry up. The fourth thing that's really important about this is that God blesses us to be a blessing. If you go back to the very beginning of this story, this is something that was really important to me. I will make you into a great nation. Here's the promise. This is the covenant. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Okay? This is the idea of spiritual formation. You are supposed to be like Jesus Christ so that you can be a blessing for the sake of others. You're not supposed to be like Jesus Christ so that you can be good for yourself. You're supposed to be like Jesus Christ so that you can bless others. And the biggest misunderstanding about the nation of Israel as you read on through the Old Testament is that it may look to you like God is just making a nation of people for himself so that he can have his own little people and everything can be okay. What he's doing is creating a nation from which the Messiah will be able to come so that that, can be a na- that could be a blessing into all of the nations. As a matter of fact, the word goyim for nation actually changes meaning for us along the way, and it actually starts to become everybody who is a part of God, whether they are Jewish or not. It changes its meaning. The plan of God was that a people of faith living as God wants them to would follow him so that they could be a blessing to everybody else. That was the whole point of God building a nation. That's the whole reason that it was supposed to happen. Okay, And and, and I know that you may feel disqualified. I know that you may think, well, this couldn't be done with me. It can be done with you. But I want to tell you something. It's not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy. There are going to be times when God's going to say, it's time for you to go, and you're going to have to say, where are we going? And God says, I, don't, I can't tell you. There may be a time, like happens later on in the story, I don't have time to get fully into, when God says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac for me. And Abraham had to go out, and he believed somehow, the New Testament tells us, that God was going to be able to raise Isaac back from the dead, but he was willing to do what God asked him to do. And God said, no, I was just testing you. Thank you for following me. There are going to be some hard things that are going to come up along the way. And here's what happens to me as a pastor. I talk to people all the time. We talk to people all the time. They're struggling with something that has to do with obedience. Just fill in the blank. You know, I I know God says this, PT, but, but God doesn't understand my situation, or you don't understand my situation, or it's too hard. I mean, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Fill in the blank with sexual sin. We get that one a lot. Well, you know, you know, Tim, I, I understand what God says, but, but it, it, you just don't understand where I'm at. And my response is always, do you believe God or not? You know, really, do you believe God or not? Do you believe that God knows what's best or not? Do you believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? If you start there, then everything else pretty much makes sense. And you guys, whether it makes sense to you or not, you've got to understand, does God have the best of your future marriage in stake? Does God have the, 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 the best of your marriage right now in his mind? Then what, 
then obey him. Maybe it's tithing. I talked to people about giving, you know, a couple weeks ago. Some of you got commitments on the cannonball, and you're wondering about how this whole thing is going to work. God told you to honor him with the first fruits, and, and you're like, man, I just, I, God doesn't understand my situation. And I, always want, I just want to say back, do you believe God or not? Do you believe God knows the best for you? Or do you think you know better than he does? I mean, that's what it boiled down to for Abraham. And every time, even though he messed up along the way, every time he came back and he said, you know what, I, I do believe. There's a couple of scriptures about him in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, now faith, about faith, I should say. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Matthew 9, it says, according to your faith, it has been done to you. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Romans says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. That's my prayer for you. It's over and over again in the Bible. You need to just trust in him. John Cavanaugh went to work with Mother Teresa in the slums of Calcutta. And while he was there, he said, Mother Teresa, would you pray for clarity, spiritual clarity in my life so that I could know what God wants in my life? Mother Teresa, he said, Mother Teresa laughed at him and said, no, I'm not going to pray for that. And he said, why not? She said, because I've never had spiritual clarity ever in my life. All I've ever had is trust. What I pray for you is trust. Listen, I don't know what it is that's going on in your life. I don't know what, what it is that God's asking you to obey him in today and to have faith in, but you've got to understand, sometimes it's going to be blind. And I know you're going to blow it, but sometimes it's going to be blind. It's always going to take patience. He always is going to do something through you so that you can bless everybody else. And really, it's just going to boil down to this simple question that I asked at the beginning of last week. Do you really believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth? And if you do, then it's time to step out and do whatever it is that God's asked you. And I love this quote, my last quote from David Lloyd George. He said, don't be afraid to take a big step because you can't cross a chasm in two small jumps. I'll tell you what I've been struggling with this week. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not struggling with obeying God with my sexual sin. I'm, a, I'm afraid of my wife. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not struggling with God when it comes to tithing because I've been tithing since I was four years old and I got my first dime for an allowance and I've seen God work over and over and over again. I'll tell you what I've been struggling with this week because you all struggle somewhere. Everybody's going to struggle somewhere. I've been struggling with the, listening to this song over and over again and knowing that my son-in-law was singing the part of Abraham and thinking maybe my problem is not that I'm going to be Abraham and Sarah. It's going to take a lot more trust if my kids are. At some point, there's going to be a choice you're going to have to make. And the choice is this. Do I really believe God? Or do I not? You're going to struggle with something. Maybe it is sex. Maybe it's money. You're going to struggle with something, and you're going to have to get to the point where you say, do I really believe God? Or do I not? Maybe it's health. Then partners with a guy in a wheelchair for a really, really long time. I had to think a long, long time ago, do I really believe God or do I not? I don't know what it is for you. There are going to come some key pivotal moments in your life where you're going to have to ask and answer that question. For some of you, it's right now. 
We're going to take communion. And as we take communion, we're going to have the opportunity to eat this bread and drink this cup. Interestingly, in Luke, Jesus, in Luke's version, Jesus says as he passes the cup down to his disciples at the Last Supper, this is the cup of the new covenant that I'm making with my blood. The cup of the new covenant, that word again, that I'm doing something for you so that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. This is my covenant. And for some of you, a key moment of do I believe God is going to be in about 30 seconds when we pass the trays across and you take these cups and you spend a moment in prayer and you have to decide, do I believe in God or not? And when I drink this, does this mean that I do? And if I do, am I accepting, am I ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? I don't know what it is in your life. I guarantee you, if you think long enough, if you think hard enough, there's some area right now that God is saying, I need you to do this, and you've got to decide if you really believe him or not. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the cup. It cost you a great deal. It was the cup of blood of your life. It was shed for our sins, and we learned last week that, that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin because sin brings death. But because of your cup of the new covenant, because we get to drink this, because we accept you, because you are our Lord and our Savior, then we get to live in this new covenant. And it's a new covenant that doesn't start in heaven, it starts right now. And you will bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. And there are people in this room that need to right now just just spiritually look to the heavens and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm tired of running my own life. I need for you to be my God. I do believe in the beginning you created. I do believe in you. I do believe that you are going to watch out for me. And, and who but you would I trust in? There have been a lot of little G gods in my life, but it's time for me to follow the big G God. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want you. And for all the rest of us, as we take communion, we remember this cup, and we remember your blood that was shed for us, and we eat this body, and we remember, we eat this bread and remember your body that was broken for us, and we realize that this is a covenant that you made with us. There is really very little we can do back for you in this covenant except follow you and take a few blind steps of faith. It's very one-sided. You did it all for us, and we accept it graciously right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.